Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to Jacob Boss in London about reaching global cities. Yeah, so we talked about a year ago, actually, and um, at that point, we had come to London. Uh, we moved to London about just over two years ago. We had put in place a holistic plan, a comprehensive plan to see London engaged. Uh, we had broken up the city geographically in what we had called the no tube stop left. Um, that, that was the vision, was to see no tube stop left, to see a healthy reproducing church at every tube stop in London. Um, since that point, we've realized that there's more than tube stops here in London. There's overground, and there's national rail, and there's other stops. So now we've, we've changed the mantra from no tube stop left to no stop left to make sure that we're incorporating every stop in London. And we, we feel like that's a great target because it covers London really well, and those are great catalytic points. Um, how, how many stops are there in London? And there's, there's over, over 600 stops uh, in London total between the underground, the national rail, and the overground. Um, and obviously, we understand those are just catalytic points that from London, it can go anywhere in the world. And so we also want to be intentional pushing it out from those, from those stops. One of the things we learned coming in was that if you take a whole city, uh, you can have a lot of paralysis by analysis because it's so large and there's so much to do. And so if we broke it down into these smaller chunks, it really gave us more manageable, uh, more manageable areas for people to engage in the missionary task. Okay. So how's that going? Yeah, it's going really well. Um, I think God, in, God has, has just provided good soil here. There's a lot of openness in London right now. We're seeing a, a really good response to the gospel. Um, as we go out, people are genuinely interested. Um, they're generally open to hearing more about the gospel. And we're even seeing quite a few people give their lives um, to Christ. Okay. Can you think of a memorable example of where that's happened? Um, yeah, there's, there's been several lately, uh, especially among our team here, here in London. Uh, recently, there was an Albanian lady that was saved, gave her life to Christ, who opened up doors for the gospel back into Albania. Um, I can think of several, even in the professional world, um, some in Google, Amazon just recently, uh, Facebook. Um, these are employees. Uh, these are employees of companies yeah. that have come to faith. And they've actually come to faith by other believers in their workplace being equipped and envisioned to reach their workplace with the gospel. Honestly, it's been surprising to us a little bit. When we came here, obviously, the, the mantra was that the soil is really hard, that um, the gospel, um, well, yeah, the mantra was that the soil is really hard and that it's just going to be really hard work. Mm. And while it is really hard work, what we found is that the soil actually isn't that hard, that the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation, that proclamation of the gospel verbally from my mouth to their ears is still the solution to the problem, even amongst hardened secularism. We're finding a lot of believers here in London that have a real heart to see people genuinely saved and genuinely transformed and living for Christ. Um, we're finding that a lot of them are distracted 
um, by all of the everyday tasks that they have as leaders in the church, as Christian leaders, but still have this genuine heart to see people here saved and to see them transformed. Um, a lot of them um, are lacking some of the basic tools in how to do that. And two, they just need somebody to come alongside of them to give them the courage to go out and, and to do this so we can do this together. So as we're casting a vision, we're finding a lot of believers here that are that are uh, responding to the vision. They want to see new churches started. They want to see people come to faith. They want to see London transformed by the power of the gospel. So we're seeing a lot of openness in terms of a heart's desire to see this happen. Um, at the same time, we're also seeing a lot of, of believers here in London from every national background, from every, every ethnic background, joining in and coming with us as we share our faith in these different areas of London. Um, as that happens, obviously we're seeing people come to faith. Um, we've got over 30 groups started here in London. Some of those have not self-identified as church even. Um, and so they're able to see what God is doing, and it gives them excitement. And so the, the momentum is building as they see what God is doing, um, and then we're able to walk alongside them and help them think through what are best practices for sharing the gospel in a context like London? And once people get saved, well, how do we disciple them? What are, what are things that we need to do practically to see them come from a new believer to a transformed, healthy, reproducing disciple of Jesus? And um, now we're actually at the point where we're thinking through what does church look like in a city like London? So we've gotten the gospel out. We've seen a lot of, of national believers come alongside of us and walk with us as we're, as we're doing this. We've seen uh, new believers come from the harvest. Um, they've led other believers to Christ. We've seen some groups start here in London. And now we're at a point where we're really thinking through and praying and asking the Lord, what does, what does church need to look like that would be biblical, but at the same time be reproducible and sustainable for the long term in, in a city like, like London. Um, obviously, a city like London, they have a, a history, a really rich heritage, Christian heritage, that spans centuries. And over those centuries, the church has, has built itself structurally to a point that it's very resource-rich. And so they're a resource-rich, heavy church currently. The problem is that so many people have left the church that the actual church, the people, they are resource-poor. And so you have this resource-rich structure that's crushing the actual church, which is resource-poor. And so as God is moving again and afresh here in London, we have an opportunity to learn those lessons from the past and think about, as we're doing church now, what are ways that we want to look at doing church um, in London? Taking into consideration the unique dynamics that a global city like London brings, um, we know that transience is a significant issue to a lot of our church models, in cities especially. Uh, some of these guys that are coming in and planting a more pastoral model of churches, uh, which would be having a service during the week, um, that traditional model takes a core group of people a long period of time to make it sustainable financially, to make it sustainable um, in every way. But with the transients in a city like London, they can't hardly keep people there long enough to make it sustainable. And so even walking with some of these guys thinking through, how do, we, how do we see transients, not as a barrier, not as a barrier to church, but actually take advantage of the transients that as they're with us, we're able to take them deeper in discipleship and get them out in obedience to Christ's command so that 
wherever they transition to, whether it's somewhere else in London or somewhere else in the world, they can be like Phillips that are scattered in Acts 8. They know what to do. They know how to share their faith, to make disciples, and even see churches formed wherever they go. And so we're currently at the point of thinking through how do we, how do, we do church in, in the city of London that, that not only sees some of the barriers that cities present, but actually can take advantage of some of those barriers and use them to the advantage of the gospel. Yeah, really, I feel like we're sitting on the precipice of some missiological shift. Um, the world is, is changing in how we function. Um, we know that by 2050, 7 of 10 people in the world will live in a city. Uh, we know that more people will live in this century than have ever lived in the history of the world. Um, and so we're really sitting on the precipice of some significant opportunity. Um, and so I think, I think it provides us the opportunity of thinking through um, cities. Well, what is a global city? How do we define cities? And as we've, as we've kind of looked at, at cities, um, I, I think of cities personally kind of in three ways, global cities, regional cities, and tier two cities. So a global city would be a city like London, which has everybody in the world is living here in London. So, for example, there, there are uh, Saudi Arabians that are living in this city that could be reached and then getting back into Saudi Arabia as insiders. We have other cities that are huge in population, like a Mumbai, which have a lot of Indians living in the city and other people from South Asia and the region, but not, not as many internationals from other nations. So they're going to send Indians back into the world cross-culturally, um, and so that would be like a regional city. And then we have Tier 2 cities, which are feeding these regional cities. And so people will move from a Tier 2 city to more of a regional, a regional city. So global cities are, are very strategic um, because of the... So, so I think as we look at, at the Bible, we'll start, we'll start with a biblical example of cities. First off, we have Jerusalem, which every nation, uh, Jews from every nation under heaven are in this one city, Jerusalem. We see this Holy Spirit do unique work. Acts 2, 37 to 47, the church is gathered together. We, all, we know that they didn't all speak the same language. They didn't all come from the same cultural background, but they still were worshiping together. So what did that look like? Acts 2, 37 to 47. We know that structure began to come to the church as the seven servants came to, to help bring some leadership to the early church. And through persecution, they scattered. And as they scattered, we see Philip uh, reaching reaching out with the gospel. We see him reaching the Ethiopian eunuch. We know that those that were scattered from Jerusalem started the church at Antioch, which is where Paul and Barnabas would end up being separated from by the Holy Spirit and sent out by the Holy Spirit to their mission endeavors. Uh, as we see then Paul track through the, the journeys and acts, we see him landing in cities like Ephesus, where he equipped 12 and from that city of Ephesus, all of Asia heard the gospel. We see the city of Thessalonica, where Paul was there for three Sabbaths. And then he has to move on due to persecution. But as he writes back to the church in Thessalonica and Thessalonians, he's amazed because not only are they still strong in the faith, but the gospel has resounded from the city of Thessalonica to the whole region. And so cities provide us a unique opportunity as a hub of seeing the gospel begin to move in a city, but knowing that as it moves in the city, it's going to naturally scatter out through relationships to the region, potentially to a whole continent, 
And then today, with global cities like London and Hong Kong and Singapore and Dubai and many of these global cities, it has the, the unique potential to go from this one city to literally the ends of the earth. And so I think it provides us a unique opportunity in history to see the gospel uh, rapidly expand like we haven't had opportunities for in history. Moving forward and looking at missions, uh, really looking at these cities as hub cities and not seeing them geographically, uh, like London. Most people would see London geographically as what is inside this highway called the M25, which surrounds London. But the reality is, because of relationships and because of how relationships flow, London literally is the world. And so if, if in our missiology we're just looking at reaching London within the M25, then I think we're missing a huge opportunity of seeing the gospel flow through relationships back to even the ends of the earth. Reaching into places that, as Westerners, we couldn't even necessarily get into or it would be very hard for us to get into. Um, a lot of people in the city would be insiders in that country, could either go back, or what we're finding is, rather than going back, they have relationships and networks there that are, that are Christian networks that we can go back and begin to train and equip so they can begin to reach their people uh, with the gospel. So one of the things that we've learned about cities is there's a couple different reasons why people come to cities. Uh, the main one is to get a job. A lot of people come to cities because they see it as an economic hope for their future. So they come to make money. And so we know that a lot of the, the relationships in cities start around the workplace. And so if we're thinking about reaching relational networks of people, then we know that the workplace is really critical and key to seeing cities reached. Um, so how do, we, how do we engage in the workplace? How do we see people reached in the workplace? How do we see movements break out in the workplace? Um, has become a key question that we've asked. Um, so initially, we had trained professional church planters who were full-time church planters in trying to reach the workplace. And we just kept coming up against barrier after barrier after barrier of, you know, we can't access the workplace. Uh, we were looking at how do we reach the, the employees after work, which their schedule gets crazy, and so it was hard to connect with them consistently. Um, we couldn't get consistent time to get discipleship happening, to get any real traction. And so uh, a, a great brother in India uh, actually recommended, hey, why don't you equip Christians that are already in the workplace? Some of these guys are already meeting together as Christians to encourage each other. Or they're studying a book about the workplace and Christianity in the workplace. So why don't you start equipping them and see if they can get into their own workplaces with the gospel? And that was revolutionary. So as we began to train and equip them and envision them, number one, they were amazed that they could do more than just give to their church or go to their church, but they could actually make a difference in their workplace. And so they were very inspired by this vision. And then giving them simple tools um, like caring for, their work, caring for their workmates by praying for them uh, was significant. It, it gave them a way to really helpfully engage with their, with their, um, with their colleagues um, so, for example, here in London, if, if a person works for Google and a workmate comes, comes by and says, man, today's been a rough day, I had a bad meeting with my boss, I got a lot of stress because I got this meeting I'm planning for, then the believer can simply say, oh, man, can, can I just pray for you really quick that, the, that Jesus would help you? And they offer prayer, and then with a the really quick after, uh, man, is there any way that maybe we could get together, I'll send you an email, and I can share a story with you at another time. So just giving them really easy handholds and really easy on-ramps to share the gospel in the workplace has really transformed 
how a lot of our, the Christians here in London look at the workplace and how they can engage in the workplace. Um, so through that, we've seen a lot of believers getting bold in the workplace, and we've seen fruit. We've seen traction. And so fruit would mean we've actually seen people put their faith in Christ. And so as, as they're praying for them, they then share the stories. Um, we use seven stories of hope. There's other Bible stories that you can share with them. Uh, we, we even have some, uh, some British colleagues that walk through the book of John. And so they'll, they'll ask the question to their colleagues, uh, hey, have you ever read the greatest book ever sold? It's sold the most copies ever. Haven't you ever want to read, read, uh, read it? And so then they walk through the book of John with them. So there's a lot of different ways you, you can get into the Word, but we're seeing that through, the, through these methods that people actually engage in the gospel, and we've seen people put their faith in Christ. And then traction would mean that as they're putting their faith in Christ, they also then get a vision uh, for their colleagues and for their family to see them come to Christ. So there's, there's, uh, there's a couple of, of people who we've seen saved recently um, in one of the big companies, very influential global companies here in London, um, who have really caught fire and realized my, my life can mean more than just making money. My life can mean more than just climbing a corporate ladder. I can actually make an eternal difference in people's lives. And they've really, they've started, um, really, they've given their lives to this. Uh, another story is, is a, a brother that worked at a big bank here in, in London who got saved um, about three years ago, actually. But uh, through that, through this, he's really been like, man, my life needs to be totally devoted to the Lord. Uh, he went to his, his uh, employer and said, hey, I'd like to actually just work four days instead of five days because I want to give one day to the Lord. I want to give one day to reaching out to the workplace here in London. And he had this vision that every office place in London would have a gospel presence in it. That was his vision. And as he did that, the Lord gave him favor. And his employer said, hey, uh, that's great. Actually, we'll just keep you on the same pay. Why don't you work four days and you can give one day to the Lord. And so he's been going around London challenging professionals Hey, why don't Christian professionals, hey, why don't you guys give one day to the Lord? See if you can work four days and use one day a week to begin to share the gospel and see if you can um, get the gospel deeper into the workplace here, here in London. So those are kind of two really neat stories about new believers who just realize and there's so much more than just making money and, and climbing the, the corporate ladder. So we, we've realized that as we're reaching these people in the workplace, um, that if we did church in the workplace, we're missing out on their families. We're missing out on their neighborhoods. Uh, and so what we started doing is having modeling groups, which would be like leadership equipping groups in the workplace where they would they do discipleship. Um, they'll do, uh, church, how, how do I, what does church look like? They'll model church in the workplace. And then equipping them to get back into their neighborhood um, and their family back home to see the gospel transform their family and their neighborhood and, we're, and seeing church happen there. Um, w- one of the things we've seen in, in London in particular is one of the barriers to city is time. So any, any Christian worker, any Christian leader, any church planter you talk to will say, man, the, the biggest barrier in cities is time. Nobody has time to do discipleship. Nobody has time to do anything. Um, and, and one of the things we're learning is people do have time. It's just where they spend their time. And so one of the ways that, that we've, or one of the approaches we've taken here in London is knowing that the office place is a known place. They know when they're going to be there, how long they're going to be there. That's a known time. And so if we can do more in the workplace, then that gives us an advantage of spending more time in discipleship. 
Um, we also know the controllable in discipleship is spending time and getting content. And so, um, and so the more time we can spend with people in discipleship, the faster their discipleship could happen. Obviously, the Lord ultimately controls the pace of how fast their heart is transformed. But the more time we can be with them, the better. And we know that the most time they spend is in the workplace. And so these professionals being in the workplace allows us the opportunity to potentially speed up discipleship, which we've actually already seen happen here, here in London. Um, and then as we're looking at church and them starting church back in their home place, um, time becomes another barrier, becomes another issue. Uh, one of the things we've learned with some of these new believers that are gathering is that, that people in cities actually do have time. On average, the ones that we've seen reach here in London have three nights a week that are free. The problem is they're not the same nights every week. And so this week they might be free Tuesday night, but next week they're not free Tuesday night, and the next week they're free Thursday night, and the next week they're not free Thursday night. And so the consistency becomes an issue um, after work in terms of gathering for church. Um, and so that's actually currently a barrier that we're thinking through and trying to, to pray and ask the Lord, man, how do we... How do we um, get people on the same page at the same time consistently to see traction happen um, with, with church? Um, one of the things we thought of is early mornings. Um, early mornings are generally an open time where nobody's going to take that time. Um, so we've thought about trying some things in the early mornings um, in their neighborhood before they go to work. Um, we've, we've also looked at starting networks of churches that meet on different nights so that if they're free Monday night this week, they can go here. If they're free Thursday night, they can go here. Um, so these are just things we're, we're thinking about. Nothing that we've tried yet, um, but these are, these are things we're thinking about in terms of how do we overcome some of these barriers to time. What's God put on your heart for global cities? What are you trusting him for here in London and elsewhere? Yes. Um, so I, I work with the International Mission Board. Um, and as we've really been praying and asking God, what, what are you doing in cities? Uh, we, we would love to see, and this is a burden of my heart as well, we would love to see 75 of the top 100 cities engage with a comprehensive church planning plan that is seeing reproducing churches happen through the city, sending to the ends of the earth. So we'd love to see 75 of the top 100 cities engaged by 2025. Um, that's, a big, that's a big goal. Um, but it's also led us some other questions of how do you define the top 100 strategic cities? Because um, if you just go by population alone, by 2050, none of the most populated cities in the world will be in the northern hemisphere. They won't be in the west. They'll all be through Africa and Asia. And so we can't just go based on size alone, but you also have to uh, incorporate influence. Because we know the cities in uh, Europe, the cities in Australia, the cities in, in North America have global reach, even though they might be a little bit smaller in nature. Um, and so that, that's something that we're currently wrestling with and thinking through of how do we define the top 100 cities strategically um, that we want to, to see engaged. But if we can see 75 of the top 100 cities engaged by 2025, then we know from those 75 cities there will be workers emerge from the harvest that can capitalize the other uh, global cities in the world. Don't forget to visit movements.net to find out how you can get your copy of The Rise and Fall of Movements, a roadmap for leaders. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.